listening to a sermon that was preached and recorded live at one of Shalom Baptist Chapel's Sunday morning worship services. For more information about the church, please visit shalombaptistchapel.org. One big spiritual family that we share in Jesus Christ. Yesterday was a good day as well. For those of you who couldn't make it, we wish you were there because you are part of the family members and we felt like, you know, our right arms wasn't there, our you know, left, you know. But we had a good time yesterday uh, at the Jurong Lake Park, is it? Yes, yeah. And uh, I had a sunburn because right after the lunch, I said, son, let's go out in the field and play football. And I think most of them were watching like, is he gone mad or something like that, you know? But thankfully, Raymond joined me. So I thought, it's not everyone who thought I was crazy, okay? Raymond thought I think I was quite normal, so he joined me. <laughs> all right. But yes, it was, it was a good fellowship. And it's always good to see all of us together, worshiping, fellowshipping God together like that, all right? And for those of us who are here, and especially, of course, like I think Ising was sharing just now, for those of us whom we have not seen you for a while. I think it's, it's always good to always see you, and I think we, have see, we see some faces here, okay? And we are glad uh, you are with us. We are in the midst of a series called Rethinking God. Do we need God anymore? Do you know why we do a series? The reason why we do a series is because on Sunday, we possibly cannot deal with one subject, if I were to just talk about this subject, uh, it would take about three to four hours, and I can go on and on, but we don't have the luxury for that. So series is usually we break it down to about four, five to six series so that we can really go in depth and see what are some of the things we can get out of it for our own walk with God. So this part of the journey, and for those of you who were not here last week, you should have been here, all right? But that's okay, okay? Uh, you should have been here because I will not preach that again. But of course, we have the recordings and uh, we will make it available for you if you uh, want to refer back. Last week, of course, we started off this series by introducing to you the alternative, the alternative to Christianity. And that is what? For those of you who are there, atheism. In other words, if you say that, you know what, I am fed up, I give up Christianity, I give up the idea of God in my life, I don't think I need God anymore. In this kind of 21st century, hello, where science and intellect and philosophy is taking the world, reasoning is taking out the world, religion, why do we need? And I think the alternative is atheism. And that was what I dealt with last week. And uh, but we, at the same time, we also saw that it is also quite unsettling if you were to move towards atheism. Nothing bad against atheism, not against atheism, but just that the things that we talked about last week, if you were here, uh, most of us would say that, nah, we don't buy to that. But actually, when you enter into that field, when you dismiss the idea of God, you are entering into that worldview whether you say you believe in that characteristics of atheism. So, <clears throat> we talk about 
atheism and 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 that is the alternative okay and i think the theism or christianity or god is called theism and the other one the, ex the other extreme is atheism a you see the theism theism a r r means no theism no god and theism means god or christianity and of course like i said i am particularly talking about when we say theism when we say religion i'm talking about particularly Christianity, all right? I have no rights to talk about other religion, okay? But I have full rights to talk about Christianity. And when we say the theism, I'm talking about Christianity. And guess what? Many people are stuck in the middle. <clears throat> many, many people are stuck in between theism and atheism. Uh, for some of you, 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 might be, you might consider yourself a Christian, and that's why you come to church, you come to fellowship, you come to small group. You still consider yourself a Christian, but you are stuck in the middle. You're stuck in the middle because you, even though you consider yourself a Christian, the, the idea of God, the idea of Christianity, the idea of God doesn't appeal to you anymore. It's like, are you a Christian? Yes, I was born a Christian. My parents were Christian, or I have been Christian for very long. But somehow along the way, God is not relevant anymore. Even if you say you are a Christian, and you would know best, you would know best because if you were to be paying attention to yourself from Monday to Saturday, how you behave at work, at home, outside, you would know whether God is at the center, whether you really believe in God. And that's why I said even Christians, many Christians are stuck in the middle. It's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but actually I don't really believe. I struggle believing in the idea of God, especially in the creator, loving, caring God. But at the same time, I, I, I don't dare to step into atheism either. Because the idea of what atheism is all about, and especially, please remember last week when I talked about the atheism, I gave you the three characteristics of the atheism. Please, if I were the one who gave you that one, please, you should not listen to me. But I gave to you simply just summarizing the three gurus of atheism. Who are they? Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, and Christopher Hitchens. These are the guys, gurus of the new atheism, and they summarized it, and that's what we dealt last week. So when you, when, you, when you look at atheism, you are not comfortable either. So it's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it's not appealing anymore. But if I want to step in that side, it's not appealing either. And so you are stuck in the middle. Yes, you, you, you and I, we come in day in and day out, week in and week out. In the church, we may read Bible and so and so forth, but somehow we are stuck in it. For some of you, you may be coming, but actually inside of you, you may know. You have already given up faith and confidence in God. You are not a Christian anymore, actually, because you have already given up on God. You are stuck in the middle because you have given up faith in God, but you are also not stepping in to atheism. And so you are stuck in the middle. Many people are in that scenario. It's a growing percentage, even in Singapore. In the year 2016, as I said last week, 
18.5% in the year 2016. That was the population of these people who are stuck in the middle. And that's a growing population. Christianity is only about, what, 18.6, 18.8. And in 2016, this group of people who are stuck in the, in the middle in Singapore, they were about 18.5%. And it's a growing population. So I think among that growing population, I think there will be many of us who are calling ourselves Christians. There may be three scenarios why people end up being stuck in the middle. Okay? And this might be one of your stories out of these three scenarios, why people get stuck in the middle, why people kind of dismiss the idea of God, but they don't want to also enter into atheism, why they give up. Stop believing in the Creator God. The scenario can be something like this. Maybe it is your story. You grew up in a religious environment. And by religious environment, it may mean your parents may be Christian or your friends may be Christian or you are going to a Christian school and so on and so forth. So you grew up in a religious environment and along the way, you kind of experienced a childhood conversion. Okay, you, when you, you were young, you know, your parents or your friends or in the VBS or you went to a Catholic school and all those, you kind of like had a somewhat a childhood conversion or along the way conversion after you were exposed to Christianity. And then there was a transition. You transitioned into a so-called non-religious environment. And I think non-religious environment, you know what I'm talking about. Probably it would be the university, for example. JC University and all those, especially when you enter into those uh, subjects and those streams where people uh, talk about philosophy, talk about science, and so on and so forth, and the prophecies or the ideas, they will disregard the idea of the existence of God. And, and that is the moment when you transition into a non-religious moment, uh, in non-religious environment, you are challenged. Your, your child faith, your childhood faith, is challenged. That is the moment when you and I, we, we begin to ask adult questions about our childhood faith. Right? When we enter and when we, are, when we transition and when these things bombard us about the philosophy, about science and all those, we begin asking adult questions about our childhood faith or about our early Christian uh, 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 days uh, uh, faith. And then, in return, what do we receive? Unfortunately, we receive faith-based answers to our fact-based questions. <laughs> you receive, you ask adult questions about your childhood faith. Like, yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God is almighty. He created everything. God is in control. That's how you learned in Sunday school. That's how you were taught, told when you became a Christian and all those. And when the rigors of life in university or in your life, in your family, face with them and you ask adult questions about it, but I was told we learn about God like that. And then we ask fact-based questions. God is sovereign, but this is happening. How do you explain? And the answer you receive is a faith-based answer. It's like, no, God is sovereign. You just wait. Trust God. It's okay. This kind of thing happens. Just, Just have faith in God. You receive faith based question to your fact-based questions. And for some of us, 
if we are not careful, your journey has been along the way because you kept it in your heart, inside you, and slowly, slowly, slowly today, you realize, actually, if you were to ask yourself, you end up waking up and feeling that, hey, actually, I don't believe anymore. Hey, I, 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 I'm, going to, I'm going to the church. I consider myself a Christian, but actually, if I were to think about myself, actually, I don't believe God anymore. Because you have this transition, you begin to ask faith, you receive faith-based answers to your fact-based questions. For some of you, your story might be this, that you grew up in a religious environment, again, you know, childhood parents or friends or schools and all those, and then you, again, experience a childhood conversion or along the way, conversion that you trust God and you gave yourself. And then, for some of you, this might be your story. You encountered a faith-crushing event in your life. It can be your loved ones. It can be your loved ones uh, dying. It can be your loved ones having cancer. It can be your own work life, your, your relationship being destroyed and, 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 and getting divorced or, or just whatever that is. It's like you grew up. You, you had an experience of conversion. But along the way, you encountered that faith crushing. And when that happens, it's like you begin to again also ask adult questions about your childhood or about your early faith in your life. And sometimes along the way, you receive again faith-based answers to your fact-based questions. You are asking God like, why did this happen? And you only receive faith-based. And then along the way, if you're not careful, for those of you, for those of us who along the way encountered a, a, a faith-crushing event, if we are not careful Along the way, when we wake up one morning, you will realize, saying to yourself, you know what? I couldn't believe anymore. It's, 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 your case is different. It's like, I want to believe. Really, I, 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 I really want to believe in the existence of God. I really want to believe that this God of Christianity, I really want to believe that Jesus died for me, He loves me, and He is sovereign. I really want to believe, but I just couldn't because of what is happening, because of what has happened, because of what I see happening in my life. I just couldn't believe anymore. Therefore, I am stuck in the middle. Or perhaps your story may not be that dramatic. Your, your story may be very simple. Grew up in a religious environment, had a really, uh, childhood uh, conversion or along the way conversion, and then because, because you are a very cool guy or cool girl, you, 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 you just you are a happy-go-lucky, that kind of, you know, that's what we say, right? Well, in life, faith-crushing event, no lies. Everything is so relaxed. Well, childhood, until today, oh, nothing, a very, oh, what, sway, sway. Is that what, is that what you're saying? Everything's so smooth. Everything, oh, nothing bad, you know? Just that your story might be this, that you were challenged with many unanswered questions. That means along the way, you started to ask questions, or you started to hear people asking questions. For example, maybe you have Christian, uh, non-Christian friends. I'm, I'm sure all of us have. And then 
Uh, uh, hey, I also have, you know, I, I, I came here to Singapore and uh, my friends were all Bible students only, you know. I graduated, I ended up here and all of you were my friends, you know. So, But I also have non-pre-believer non friends and I'm happy about that, you know. I, I love them. I treasure them because they're only like handful. <laughs> okay, I, I love them, okay? So if I don't hear from them, I get very disturbed. <laughs> you know, like, oh, are you leaving me? Are you not going to be my friend anymore? You know, like that kind of thing. Okay, anyway, that's besides the point. But along the way, some of your maybe non-Christian friends, they started to ask questions or something happened in, in, in the world and people are just asking questions about Christianity. And guess what? You actually thought about those questions and then guess what? You ask the pastors, you ask the small group leaders, you, ask, uh, you, you try to Google, you try to read books, you try to read the Bible and guess what? You just couldn't find answers that satisfies you. And that challenges you. And that makes you, and of course, in other words, you would say, you know what, because after you find all the answers that are not satisfactory, you come to a state of like kind of stagnant, you kind of come to a point of where you can, you, you, you say, well, you know what, I don't care anymore. It's just, forget it. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I am, but I don't care anymore. All the answers, all the questions, yeah, no answers. I don't care anymore. Regardless of, regardless of your experience that you had, how you grew up and how things shaped into, how your experience of, of coming to a point of, of doubting God, of coming to a point of disbelieving in God, being stuck in the middle, whatever your experience is out of the three, there are two common characteristics about this. There are two common characteristics, and it is this. The first one is the I thought God supposed to be. The first characteristic, the common characteristic is I thought God supposed to be. In other words, you have a certain uh, understanding of who God is, or in other words, who God is supposed to be. And, and and your faith is crushed. Your confidence in God is crushed. God is not appealing to you anymore because the things that are happening in your life and, 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 and it doesn't click and because you are thinking that, but wait, God supposed to be like that, right? And then why is he not like that in my life, in my situation? So that's the first common characteristic, ir irrespective of what experience you went through, the I thought God supposed to be. And the second one is, I believe because the Bible tells me so. In other words, are you a Christian? Yes. Why do you believe in God? Why do you believe in the triune God? Why do you believe uh, in Jesus? Why do you believe that there will be heaven and hell towards the end? Why do you believe? And, and your answer is, well, I believe because the Bible tells me so. Because the Bible tells me. Everything is about the Bible tells me. It's like, oh, uh, do you believe? Yeah, why? What is the reason? Or oh, because the Bible tells me so. If the Bible says so, that settles it. So it's, it's a no-brainer thing. You, you, you see what I mean? And so today, I will talk about the first one. I will talk about the I thought God supposed to be. Next week, if you will be here, I will address, I believe the Bible tells me so. Okay? And I hope you will be here because... In this, I believe the Bible tells me so. It will be something 
that will give you a new perspective of looking at Christianity. I don't intend to demean the authority of the scriptures, but I will give you a right view of the scriptures. And so be here next week. That's the commercial for next week, okay? So get back to today's one, which is I thought God supposed to be. I thought God supposed to be. Now, for this one, there is this uh, lady by the name of Karen Armstrong. He's, he's, he's a great writer, and he's a religious writer, meaning he, he writes about religion. He writes, and I, I, she, she, she's, she's, she's really great. One of her books, she said something about this tension, the idea of what we think about God, the, the idea of like, oh, God is supposed to be like this. Oh, God is like this, right? God is that. She said something like this, and I thought it was quite incredible. She said, many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. <laughs> Listen to this one. We learn about God at the same time as we were told about Santa Claus. You know, isn't it true? But while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, <laughs> Our theology, in other words, our understanding of who God is, remained somewhat infantile. In other words, the, child, the God of our childhood faith never grew at all. Our concept of all this Santa Claus and all those myths, it grew, it, it grew and it got, we, we, we got matured and we understood, ah, no, it's not like that. We now understand better. But when it comes to our understanding of God, she's basically saying that many Christians get stuck in their understanding of who God is of the childhood faith. And then she said this, not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that He existed. Isn't it true? Just now, as I was saying earlier, when we transition into a non-religious environment, when we are kind of bombarded, when we face so-called the science, so-called the physics, and all those, and those are, I'm not saying those, those are bad. You would see later on, actually, they are good. But when we kind of become that Oh, we can reason everything with our mind. Remember, one of the uh, new atheist gurus, Sam Harry, uh, uh, Christopher, Christopher Hitchens, I think. Uh, uh, he said that uh, the book that he wrote was how religious poisons everything. Right? It's like religion poisons everything. Religion poisons uh, your ability to reason life. Your religion poisons your mind to, 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 to think about what is the actual fact of life. And, and this is, I think, what Karen M. Strong is trying to say, that you know, when we attain intellectual maturity, the unfortunate thing is that we tend to reject God, we inherit it, and we deny that He exists. Actually, I would say that all of us, somewhat all of us, uh, go through this experience. You see, we, we, when, we, when we become Christian, when we become follower of Christ, 
we have little idea of what that means, right? And along the way, if we are not growing mature in our understanding of who God is, if we, along the way, somewhat we attain to some level of understanding of who God is, and we stop there, that means, that means, that means you start, for some of us, we started early in our age, means as a child in our Sunday school. And then once you became youth, that's it. You can think for yourself. You're exposed to other ideas. You can Google. You have the phone with you. So you're exposed to all the ideas. And then you think like, hmm, let me explore the other ideas. And then you shelf it. Your understanding of God shelves it at your youth age here. And then you start to just explore and you never come back. In other words, your reading of the scripture, you're listening, you're worshiping, and you're listening to the sermons, to the messages, to the Bible studies, to the small group, to the life of really growing deep. You stop there because you think that, ah, that's enough. Let me explore. For some of us who may not be, uh, who grew up uh, uh, to be a Christian in a young age, but in your adult age, you grew, you, you, you decided to become a Christian. And then for maybe three months, six months, because I know some of them, and um, I, I had the privilege to lead uh, 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 a handful of people into Christ. And I also had a bad experience because there are some, uh, one or two of them, uh, they journeyed with me for about three, four months. Three to four months. And then, and then the idea that they, they have is, okay, I think uh, enough. I need to slow down. I think it's okay. I, w- I want to take it slow. I, I, I just want to take it slow. You know, I think I have already had the uh, uh, grasp of who God is. And lo and behold, because I cannot force that, that person, and lo and behold, after some time, disappeared. And that is the case that, 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 is, that is happening, that most of us, at some point in time, once we stop, our search for God, our understanding of God, our deeper understanding of God, that's, that's how we experience here. We, we tend to reject God. We tend to, we tend to feel that Christianity or God doesn't appeal to us anymore. We tend to feel that God is not relevant to us anymore. Somehow, somewhat, we grow up, but the God we believe never grows up. And that is why we have this tension of I thought God's supposed to be. So the rest of the time, I want to talk about the God, or rather the I thought God's supposed to be. In other words, I want to talk about gods that do not exist. I want to talk about gods that do not exist that you might have believed in. And listen carefully. For some of you, because you believe in God that do not exist, you might have been stuck in the middle for that reason. So very quickly, as as, as much as I can, let me go through a few of them. The first one, we can call it the bodyguard God. God. The bodyguard God. Uh, The bodyguard, God is simply the idea that we think that God will always protect us Uh, 24-7. That's the idea. No harm uh, will come to, especially to the good people, uh, because God is love, 
and God cares. The Bible says God is love, so, and God has compassion, and so no bad things should happen to good people, especially to good people. God will always protect 24-7. By the way, God is sovereign, right? So it's, it's a common sense thing what, that God can and God should protect you and me 24-7. But then you see bad things happening to good people and your confidence, your faith in God crushes. And that's when you and I begin to give up on God. But brothers and sisters in Christ, friends, who says that God will always protect bad things? Who says God will always protect the good people, so as to say good people, from encountering bad things? Who says? Where did you get the idea that God will always, that God should, that God ought to, God, I thought, I thought God's supposed to be, right? I thought God's supposed to be a bodyguard God. He's sovereign, isn't he? And that's what we think now. Do you know that Christianity started Christianity started in the history, Christianity started by a very, very bad thing happening to a very, very, very good person. If Christianity was that God will always protect, Christianity would have never survived the first century. Because in the first century, all the good people, all the Christians, the good people, were persecuted. They were killed. Christianity would have never made it in the first century if, 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 if our God is the bodyguard. God. Christianity has the origin of someone, a good person, a God dying on the cross. So who says that our God is a bodyguard God, that God will never, that, 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 that bad things will never happen, that God will always protect. And I myself is a testimony of that. My family back in Nagaland. And I shouldn't say that because I know you know. So, for some of you, if you have lost faith in God, if you stop believing in a body God, God, then that's good because this God doesn't exist to begin with. Good. Give up on this God. Give up on this God. The, the next one is quite similar to this one. We can call it the on-demand God. <clears throat> Very, very, got very popular, right? <clears throat> Especially when things, 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 things go wrong. I mean, <laughs> this, this morning uh, in, the, in the TGB class, we did a very interesting exercise today. So for those of you who were not there, you missed it. And that's a way to kind of like make you a 
you know, guilt, <laughs> you know. But I, I think my point is this one. Today we learned uh, from, from the life of Esther, right? For those of you who were there, bad things do happen, right? And that's what the first thing. And then, and then we, 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 we always seek God when things go wrong. We are most desperate for God when things go wrong, all right? So that's why God is very popular. In other words, I think the on-demand God is that God will always answer, and God should answer. I thought God always answers all our requests, all our prayers, especially if our prayers, especially if our uh, requests are fair and, uh, and selfless. What do I mean? So, for example, I pray. I pray for Michelle. Huh? Hey, God, you should answer lah. It's not for me, you know. I am praying for Michelle, you know, that God will bless her. God will, you know, bless her work, you know. So, it's not about me, you know. And it's fair what? Michelle is so hardworking. God, you should bless what? Hey, at least God, you should at least do. You should at least give. At least what I would, even as a human being, would do good, right? So, if you are God, so holy God, then all these small things... So on-demand God, it's like we believe that God is an on-demand God, that God should do, God must answer, at least to the things that we think that, hey, at least we would do that for others, we would do that, so why wouldn't God do that? So God should. So when you ask and pray to God for things in your life and God doesn't answer and give you, you conclude that there must be no God, right? It's like, you, because that's what you believe on demand God and you will pray, you will fast. And this request is nothing to do with you. It's all solely to bless others. But God doesn't answer and you conclude to say that, huh, right, atheism is correct. There is no God. And guess what? You are right. You are right on demand God doesn't exist. So it's good. You should give up on this kind of God because they don't exist. Now the next one is, you may laugh at it, but I thought, you know, when I saw this one, when I learned about this one, I thought, hey, it's a cool one. The next one is called the boyfriend God. Or you can call it also the girlfriend God. What is the idea? I'm sure for those of you who are in relationship right now, I think you know what this is all about. Okay, when you're in the court, in, in, in your courtship, in a courting, courtship, Boyfriend, girlfriend, God has the idea that, you know what? I must always feel your presence, right? And like, oh, I cannot lay, cannot sleep without talking to you or seeing you. It's like, I must feel your presence. It's like, ooh, goosebumps, you know, like, yeah. And, and that's what we treat, that's what we believe that God must be, that God's supposed to be, that God is all around, that God is sovereign, God's presence is everywhere, God's presence is in us. The Bible says what? The Holy Spirit lives in us. So come on. I should be feeling God. And so when I don't feel God, I conclude therefore, there is no God. Or at least, I conclude that Christianity or this God that Christianity believes in is not relevant anymore in my life because I don't feel God. 
God seems to be. Now, especially, especially when you pray. Ah, I had the privilege to share this in my small group. I don't know whether my small group members remember. There was a time in my life, and it was a very critical uh, 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 period of my life. It was kind of like a life and death kind of a situation, decision that I have to make. And so my parents suggested, no, in fact, not my parents. I think I, I, I came up with my own idea. Wow, so clever. But of course, I think influenced by my parents because my parents, whenever they always get stuck in some decision-making, they will always go to the mountain place to go and fast and pray. You know, in Nagaland, we have that kind of luxury, you know. We have a lot of mountain and all the, you know, the river is, is superb, you know. So we have prayer centers in the mountain area and we go there, people go there on a pilgrimage for two to three days and all those. So I decided I will go for that one. And then my, my pact with God was this one, God, you got to show up. And that place, God is like, whoa, your presence is like 10 times, 20 times there, you know, because the testimonies I hear is like incredible. It's like, I just cannot believe it. The testimonies they share, how they experience God, how they so-called see God. Like, really? It's kind of like I doubt. Most of the time I doubt it actually, come to think of it. But because I was desperate. So I went and I said, God, you must show up and I must hear from you. If I don't, it's like I am being cautious here, okay? Okay, I'm giving God an option. Then the second said, if not, at least let me feel your presence. At least I can get some assurance. So I went, I, I stayed two nights, three days, two nights. And I prayed and I prayed, I fasted. Whoa, it, was, it, was, it was terrible, okay? All the time I was thinking was my stomach, okay? And, and I had a gastric problem. So I, I, I struggled. But somehow I managed to kind of contain myself and then I went through the three days. And especially the nighttime was hard because it's like I must, I, must, I must pray until I kind of doze off, and which I did, okay? So I prayed, I prayed, and then at the end of, 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 of my prayer, I came back, and uh, my experience was simply this. I didn't feel God at all. In fact, <clears throat> instead of feeling the presence of God at nighttime, I think I felt the presence of the other spirit instead, you know. It kind of like, it's kind of a bit creepy and then like, where God? This kind of like, I thought God, you are supposed to show up. Why can't I feel you? Let, forget about hearing from you, God, but, but now I want to at least feel you. And I don't, I didn't. I didn't. And of course, uh, the decision I made, okay, I, I shouldn't tell you what decision I made on that one. But I think the point here is about, the, about feeling the presence of God. Somebody, Mother Teresa, if I'm not wrong, wrote about this guy who went around, uh, 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 he received the call of God to go and bless and minister to different parts of the world. And at the end of his life, he wrote that he never experienced the presence of God at all. And so I think if you are doubting and you are, on the verge to give up on this God, then yes, you should, we should, because boyfriend God doesn't exist at all. Who says that God will always make his presence be felt with you? Who says? Where, where do you get that idea? Where do we get that idea? No, it's not true. The next one is something that I think we all will struggle, I think, until the end. It's, it's a journey that we will continue to have to kind of unveil and, 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 and undo uh, this, this concept. And it's called the guilt God. 
The guilt God is, is something that I think starts uh, right at the moment when we uh, follow Jesus and it, 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 it just comes back and it comes back because the guilt God has the idea that God loves you. That's why he wants to save you, right? God loves you, but he hates you. It's kind of like, what? Okay, okay. Let's put it this way. God loves you, but he doesn't like you that much. And the reason he doesn't like you that much is because like, you are Jeremy's disobedient. You know, why you always make the same mistake? It's like, I love you. It's, 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 like, it's like, you know, parents, I'm sure parents, for those of you, especially who have young children, and for those of you who have already experienced the young, uh, having young children, it's like, I love, I love my son. For example, you know, like my son, five years old, now he's like, wow, acting out, you know, trying to be, you know, in control. I love him with all my heart. It's like he just pains me, but it's like I don't like him. I don't like some of the things that he like. You know how many times I would tell you, you know, it's like, and he would be like, oh, you know, do you remember? And I'm, you know, like, so it's like, like, I love you, but, but I hate you when you do that. I hate you. I just don't like you when you do that. I think it's, it's, it's the same thing. So that's the guilt God, that we believe that God loves us, but God doesn't like you because of the sins that you continuously struggle with. The guilt stays with us. You know, we, we have the understanding that God is angry with us. God is angry with us, especially when we do sin. Especially the sin that we told Him, God, enough. It's the last time I'm doing. And then the next day, we end up doing. And then our idea is the guilt God, that okay, God must be angry. So, <clears throat> we end up trying to find to do something good to replace the bad that we have done. So that in the hopes that when I do this one, I think God will be at least happy and the dislike will become like by cut by half of the things that I did last week. So that has the mentality. So it's like, okay, I must try to please God. And, and some of us, some of us, some Christians, let's be honest. Let's be honest to yourself. You have a very good theme in your life. My life is to please God. In everything I do, to please God. But sometimes you have that mentality because you have the guilt God in you. Because the idea that you want to please God in everything you do is because if I don't please God, God will not be happy. So I must do good things to please God so that He likes me. Not only He loves me, I know He loves me. He gave His Son, like, come on. But he, He's not pleased with me. God doesn't take pleasure when He looks at me in my daily life. And that's the guilt, God. And this is the God that doesn't exist. And you should, and I should, give up, quit believing. Guilt, God. We must understand that Jesus, when He died on the cross, He died for everything once and for all. There is no guilt whatsoever. Our God is not a guilt God. Our God is a forgiven, everything God. He not only loves you, but He takes pleasure in you. When He looks at you, even in the messiest time of your life, even in that, and especially when you are messing up yourself, God looks at you 
and he just takes pleasure in you. Because for us, when we mess up, when we are in the sin, we think about ourselves as sinners. We think about ourselves, how lousy we are. And how we look at ourselves, we think that God looks at us that way. But can I tell you, because of what Jesus Christ has done, He looks at us, even in our mess, with that love, with that likeness, because He takes pleasure. Because He knows that even if you are in a mess, and you know you shouldn't be there, and you are there, God takes pleasure still, anyway, because He will carry you through. It's not about whether you can, true or not. And that's, that's, that's our God, that's our true God. So if you are believing in a guilt God, we should give up. The final one, there are others, suspect, but I think for, for time's sake, I think we can conclude with this one. It's called the anti-science God. An anti-science God is basically, I think for many of us, we grew up like that. Hey, don't ask too many questions. You will go mad. Your faith will be affected if you ask too many questions. Don't ask too many questions. Just have faith and belief. Just have faith and believe. You can't reason faith. You can't understand everything. Just have faith and believe. That's it. Don't try to reason. Right? And that's why for some Christians, they are against apologetics. You know what apologetics are, right? Apologetics are like Ravi Zacharias. Whoa! I love Ravi Zacharias. I always wish if I were like him, you know, that kind of thing. I kind of admire the way he, he argues philosophies, the way he argues all these scientists, and, and fantastic. But I think we grew up traditionally with the idea that don't ask too many questions, don't be so intellectual. Faith in God, it must be totally by faith. You cannot see, you must just faith. You must just trust God without Faith, you cannot please God. So with questions, definitely you cannot. So you should stop asking. Now, I think this guy sums it up. Richard Dawkins, interestingly, Richard Dawkins uh, sums it up quite, quite well when he said something like this. One of the truly bad effects of religion is that it teaches us that it is a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. It's like, hey, an atheist guy is telling us, guys, so we should pay attention, okay? Listen to him. He said, you know, it, it, it is, we have made it like a virtue. It's like, you ask too many questions, you are doubting. You better have faith in God. Wow, don't ask too many questions. In other words, don't struggle. Just trust God. And, and that's what he's saying. And, and basically, these gods that we have, is the false God, or rather the God that doesn't exist. God is not the one that he, these are not the gods that he, uh, these are not the God that exists. And so, to sum it up, if in some ways you have lost your faith, you have lost your faith in Christianity or God, or if you are losing it, if you are on the verge of losing it because of these gods, then perhaps you have lost it or perhaps you are losing it unnecessarily. So, 
my question to all of us would be this. Are there any gods here that you and I have grown up with or at this point in time you have believed in and for this reason, for believing in these gods, you might be affected in the way you are journeying with God. And I would really say that you should quit believing. So, how do we know then? And where do we look at for the right God? Is there a reference that we must always lean to and come back to? If these are not the God that we believe, then where do we look at? What is the reference point? Do we have one that we can always lean back and come back to? And the answer is yes, Jesus. Jesus. And in the passage recorded to us by John, he said this, Jesus answered, I have been with you a long time now. Do you still not know me, Philip? So he was asking Philip because Philip was asking uh, the question about because uh, Jesus was saying that I'm going to go away and prepare the place and all those. And so Jesus is saying, you still don't understand. You don't, still don't know me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And with this, when the disciples heard this one, that's what they recorded for us. For example, Paul understood that. And Paul said, Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And that's why Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father because we are one. Because Jesus Christ is the visible image. And finally, the writer to the Hebrews said, the Son reflects the glory of God and shows exactly what God is like. Jesus reflects the glory of God. Jesus shows exactly what God is like because Jesus is God. And so my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are stuck in the middle, if you ever get stuck in the middle, Ask yourself, what are the gods that I have believed in that might not exist in the first place? And undo it. Quit believing in those gods. And then look at the God that explains to us everything. Look at the life of Jesus. He is the one that we believe in. So if there's any gods that you have believed in, I hope that today you will make a point to quit believing and just start believing in the right God. Our God is not a God who is made by hands. He's the God by himself. And I invite you to continue to trust in that God. So may I invite us to just stand with me as we respond with a song you are God alone. But before that, may I just invite us to just bow down our heads and uh, spend some time in prayer.